Good morning and welcome to To The Tuga, the Everything Portuguese Soccer podcast by the fans, for the fans. I'm Peter Jesus, Christian Freire, Mitch Freire, as always, and do we have a lot to talk about. Hey, the good news is Portugal not officially eliminated, and that's where the good news ends. Uh, <laughs> you can see the Christmas tree behind me. Uh, uh. It's the season of giving, and I think Fran Sanch uh, took that to heart and decided to give away our chances of an automatic berth into the World Cup in Qatar because... Uh, yeah, it started off poorly with those uh, lineup decisions right from the very beginning. Uh, Portugal, all they needed was a win or a draw against Serbia in Lisbon at the Stadio de Luz. That should have been a pretty easy deal, and it got off to a great start two minutes in, and it went all downhill from there. Christian, Mitch, uh, before I get to your comments, just want to say hello to uh, the people tuning in. We have Adam, we've got Daniel, and we have our friend Nikola Dimkovic from Serbia, which, by the way, congratulations <laughs> on the big win there. So, uh, Christian, Mitch, what the heck happened on Sunday? I'll let you start, buddy. I don't know if I want to start, man. I don't want to. We'll start flipping tables here pretty soon. Uh, yeah, honestly, we lost on every single stat that game at home in a game where we needed to at least a draw. And I think that's where the problem starts. That the mentality sets in these players. Like I, I talked about last a lot last week, where uh, he was saying a zero zero was the same as a five nothing. You know that just that that feeds into your lineup, even if that's true. You, you can't be that into your lineup. you got to go and play hard every single game. We have players like João Cancelo, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo. These guys all play top flight in, in England. Superstars, probably the best players in their position. Did you know that João Cancelo didn't even pass half against Serbia? Why is he – he didn't even pass half. It was a crazy stat I just seen. These players did not play to their capabilities. And at Blade, it all falls down – on you know who, Fernand Sanch, tactically got it super super wrong. Then he has the audacity to say, "Oh, you know, I have the quality to uh, take Portugal to a playoff." But that's not what we want. We want a team to have the quality to win the World Cup, not enter a, a freaking playoff. It's ridiculous, and that should not be allowed on our national team. That sort of mediocrity. Should not be allowed. If you look at all of our last tournaments, we got outplayed by, and I'm going to go back a, a few tournaments, Morocco, I, uh, Iran, going back to every single game in every single tournament, mediocrity. Even the hungry game that we won 3 nothing in the Euro, mediocre. We took us to the 82nd minute. Then we tied twice and lost. In a playoff game where we needed to, to win, we, we got outclassed in every category. Serbia 100% deserved to win that game. A player said a quote, uh, one of the former players, these played for Portugal, said a quote, that I'm not upset that Portugal lost. I'm upset that we deserve to, to lose. And it, it's 100% true. And for him to go and say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to for sure win through a playoff. That's not how Portugal should be going through. We should have easily won this group. We should be one of the main teams in the world competing for the world cup not not favorites to go through a playoff just blows my mind it, it it's super frustrating guys because we talk about it we're not professionals we're not coaches we're not you know we're just fans um but 
it's so frustrating when something that is so blatantly fucking obvious to us just continues to be overlooked by the individuals who are leading the way with our Slesa. Stats that are so glaringly brutal. How a coach who is who is leading the most talented generation of players this Slesson has ever put together. How a Fidrasson can can accept the standard and quality that Fernando Santos is putting out is is it's atrocious. It's 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 mind blowing. Fernando Santos came into this lesson when he came in in 2015 or 2014, whenever it was. We were Ronaldo plus 10. Let's call a spade a spade. At that time, a lot of the guys who are there now were very young. They were in the U21s, even younger, some of them. We were very much a Ronaldo plus 10. Ronaldo was the focal point of the team, and everyone just played to his strengths. And, and when he came in, when Fernando Santos came in, his style, he came from Greece, small team mentality. It was a lot of, you know, defend, 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 hit him on the counterattack, hold the result, one nothing draws, small-minded team thinking. And you know what? It worked. It's hard to say it didn't. It gave us a Euro. It gave us a Nations League. It worked for that <coughs> era. <clears throat> Coming into 2018, <coughs> 2019, 2020, mm. our Slesson and the quality of our Slesson has improved leaps and bounds. We have arguably some of the best players in the world right now. And we have just simply outgrown, our quality has just outgrown Fernando Sanchez's style of play. To that point, what makes this even worse is that other coaches have also evolved. Soccer minds have evolved over the world. And something that in the last probably three, four years has become very popular is the use of the proper use of a 3-4-3 formation or some sort of, you know, uh, variation of it. And this lesson, time and time again, has proved we do not know, under Fernand Sanch, we do not know how to play against a 3-4-3. Anytime we line up against a 3-4-3, it is almost guaranteed Portugal either ties or loses. We can't even beat Ireland playing a 3-4-3. As soon as I saw Serbia was going to line up with a 3-4-3, in my head I said, my God. To your point, Cancelo not pushing up half. I've said it before on this podcast. The problem with the 3-4-3 is when you've got two wing backs in a 3-4-3 that push so high up the field, it prevents our left and right backs from getting forward. That is one of the keys to Fernand Sanchez's classic 4-3-3 or 
whatever he chooses to play, which is normally a 4-3-3. As soon as you take the ability of our, our left and right backs to get forward and make overlapping runs, it dismantles a massive portion of how we attack. The other issue is they sit two guys deep in the midfield that prevent our midfield three from connecting to our top three up front. You take those two pieces away from the game, and Portugal is completely broken tactically. You saw it from from and, and I said I actually said when Matt Sunch scored the goal, I said you know what this could actually be good for Portugal because it kind of plays into Fernand Sunch style because we can sit back now and hit them on the counterattack. We didn't do that. Serbia in the first 20 minutes of the game were making so many mistakes. After we scored the first goal, Fernando Sanchez should have said, Vamos matar o jogo. Let's, let's end it. Go for, the, go for the gut goal. End this game. Pop in another one or two goals. Hit them. They were nervous. They were playing in a full stadium. They'd made a big mistake at the beginning of the game. What did he do? He sat back. Invited them. said, come Come take the game to us. I'm going to read you some stats. Total shots. 11 for Serbia, 9 for Portugal. Accurate passes, 359 for Serbia, 269 for Portugal. Yeah. When have you seen Portugal be outpassed? 359 to 269? Past success, 78% for Portugal, 82% for Serbia. I mean, you can't get any worse in a game that we needed to win. I don't want to even hear the word tie coming out of his mouth. And he has the audacity to say we didn't go in there for a tie. Yeah, what sure. What are you talking about, man? We got outshot. We got outpassed. We got out-tackled. We got out-possessed at home. In a game to go to Qatar. Christian, even when Serbia tied the game, you knew right away he was still thinking in his head, we can, we still got this. Let's hold on to the tie. Let's just hold on to the tie. Honestly, I was listening to ESPN FC and I, I shared you the video and we have our, you know, thoughts on those guys. You know, sometimes some of the things that come out of their mouth, we shake our head. But they actually said it right this time, in my opinion. On that last goal that they scored, I don't know if you've seen there was two players, two, not one, two players wide open, waving their hands like this, like this, for about three minutes. I'm open, I'm open. Not a single person marking. Now, even in a conservative uh, style of play like Fernando Santos, they couldn't even do that right. They weren't up for it. There was no aggression. There was no will. There was nothing that game. And you know what? Th that's one of the problems with uh, – Fernand Sanch, he instills a not-lose mentality instead of a win mentality. And that goes through the lineup. They thought, <clears throat> okay, well, we're one nothing up. Let's hold it. Oh, we're 1-1. Let's hold it. And this is what happens. I mentioned it a lot on other podcasts, even with uh, the Ireland game. I said, the second that you sit back, change out all these players, and hope for a 0-0 and say that's the same as a 5 nothing, that can happen. They can score last minute, and we're done. That's playing with fire, man. And I mentioned it so many times. And we could see it coming, man. That last game, we we knew it was coming. We knew we had to make so, it hard so, for ourselves. So I guess look, it's very easy and justifiable 
to blame Fernand Sunch for the strategies, the lineups, 100%. But how much responsibility should the players be taking here too? Because I'm hearing a lot from you guys, Fernand Sunch, Fernand Sunch, Fernand Sunch. What about the players? They're the ones that got to play it too. Where's their responsibility in all of this? Just to add real quick is, okay, I understand what you're saying and you're 100% right. Not all responsibility should fall on him. But when you see those exact, exact same players literally become the best players in the world on their teams, best players positionally and on their teams, then they go to the national team and they show the complete opposite. Something isn't right there. You know what I mean? I, I I I disagree completely. And and normally I I would put some of the blame on the players. I put 150% of the blame on Fernando coach. And I will tell you why. <clears throat> it comes down to not only the bad decisions in Serbia, but already in the game against Ireland. I sat here and I told you guys, I could not understand how he was starting guys who when he made the, the call up, like Gonzalo Gedge, he, he wasn't even called up, and all of a sudden he goes into the starting 11. As a national team coach, and again, this is just from my perspective, as a national team coach, you do not have a ton of time with the players that you're coaching. You don't have a ton of time. You don't get them, like, you don't have the luxury of a club coach <laughs> who gets to work with these guys week in, week out, train with them multiple times a week, and you get to see them play once to twice a week. You don't get that luxury. And the more games these these players play together, the more chemistry they have, the more they're able to adapt to each other's ideas and how they play. You need to take advantage of every game you have with these guys to get your core group of players gelling. You go into a game with Ireland playing Mateusz Nunes, Gonçalo, like, Diogo Dalot at left back. Like, there's all these players that you're playing in these positions that you knew were not going to start against Serbia. Yes. Why are you doing that? Yeah, exactly. And, we and it's a game that you can't afford to lose. We didn't have to win. Yeah. We could have tied, but you could not lose that game. Yes. So there's two factors. There's the fact that you're playing uh, uh, green players – in, in a game that you cannot lose. And number two, why would you not play the core group that is going to play against Serbia to get these guys gelling? That's exactly what I said last podcast. And to get these guys familiar with each other. And, and, and this is why he fails consistently. is because he makes – it's not just the poor decisions that Fernando Santos makes on game day with selection and tactics. It's the – it's the consistently poor decisions he makes in in almost everything that he does surrounding this last sound. The only thing I will give Fernand Sanch credit for is the fact that he's not afraid to give guys a chance. That's the only thing I will give him credit for. I think he's the, the Slesinador that's 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 um, uh, given the most um, starts to new he- you know new, what? New I, I, on, That's about the only thing I'll give him credit I know, for. but you're you're giving him credit for something that I look at differently. I think he's giving these players like playing time is because he doesn't have his team figured out. I, I agree. 100%. I think I think it's not more of you know this guy is good. Let's give him a chance. I think it's more like I don't know how to get this. I don't know where our best eleven is. 
So I'm going to try this guy. I'm going to try this guy. Oh, I'm going to see if this works. Yeah. Oh, Gedge is up? Okay, well, let's throw him here. Yeah. I think it's more of a, a mentality as where, of where he's like, man, I, I need to get these guys playing good. Let's figure it out in game where those are the things you should be doing in practice. And I, I keep touching up on this, but I just know it's so important is what you just said right there. And we mentioned it a lot last podcast. We don't have a core of players. We don't know. Where, there were 16 player switches in the last two games. Yeah. 16. I know. A guy that's over there complaining about, oh, we don't have enough time for practice. Oh, we don't have enough time with the guys. Makes 16 player switches? Like, how are you supposed to build chemistry there? Nobody yeah. knows. Like, you don't even know where you are positionally. You don't know where to go. You know, the tactics are all over the place. I, I just, I don't know, man. I'm, so, I'm, to that point, to that point, I will say this. Let's just, <clears throat> I can forgive a little bit about the, um, some of the, some of the lineup choices, at least against the Ireland game, simply because you had the whole yellow card situation. I, I get that. I, I understand why there was going to be some switches there for sure. You also had some injury issues in there as well. So I can see past that. But I agree. Look, at the end of the day, Portugal had one job to do. And look, this would be completely different. If we could go back in time, that goal that Cristiano Ronaldo scored against Serbia in that first game, that should have counted. But it didn't count. There was no VAR. You know, I mean, so much could have changed. The first goal, two minutes into the game, that changed the the whole perspective of the game as well. Portugal completely in the driver's seat. But then, again, it's like you just sit back and it's like, all right, well, now we've got 88 minutes. We just got to run out the clock. And clearly, that turned out to be an issue. What if that first goal should never have gone in? That should have been an easy stop nine times out of ten. Like, there's a lot of mishaps here. So, yes, does Fernand Sun's shoulder the vast majority of the blame? Absolutely. I'd say probably 95% of it. But we can't give the players a free pass here either. But here's to that point, Kev. I, I talked about this last last week, and I asked you guys if you guys felt that, that the players were still confident and trusted Fernand Sanch. Because... As soon as the players start to lose confidence in the coach's ability to tactically decide and put out the right strategy for the game, you will lose their ability to play. So to your point earlier, Jean Cancelo didn't pass half against Serbia. Is that Jean Cancelo's fault? No. I don't think so. Is it Fernand Sanz's fault? Yes. At the end of the day, if Juan Cancel, being the player that he is, going into that game, is seeing the tactics that Fernand Sanz is putting out, and in his mind, he is not confident, and the, and he's lost. It's losing the trust in the coach that he's putting out the right tactics with the right players. As soon as you lose that in your head, mentally, because we all know. It's a very mental game. You, your skill level will drop because you're you're not confident in that man and his ideas. Whether you agree with them or not is two different things. It's the trust and the confidence in that man to put out the right lineup and the right tactics that can destroy a team. And that's why I don't blame the players. 
because it's that man's job to instill the confidence and trust in those players. And as soon as you lose that, I don't care who the hell you put on the field. They will not play to their full potential because they do not believe that he's putting out the right tactics. So if they don't believe that that he's putting out the right tactics, like you mean to tell me that if all the players on that team, including Cristiano Ronaldo, had zero faith in Fernand Sanch, do you honestly think he'd still be the coach right now? I don't think so. I don't ah. think so. They, they, their, their opinions, especially Ronaldo's, carry a lot of weight. I think one person's opinion matters. Ronaldo. And that's Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. And you think he still has faith in Fernand Sanch? I think for the first time in his life, Cristiano Ronaldo is being very biased to a man that I think he looks like a father figure at as a very, very much a father figure. And I think we have seen Ronaldo call coaches out. We've seen him in the slice sound call coaches out. He called out Paulo Bent. He called out Carlos Queiroz. He has never had a problem in calling out a coach at any level. And I, I do not believe somebody as competitive as Cristiano Ronaldo does not see what we see. Yeah. And I think the only thing that is stopping him from calling out Fernand Sanch is that he has a bias towards him. He loves the man. And he knows. And the players know. If the players, if we see it and we're not there, the players there can definitely see his Carinho, Cristiano Ronaldo's Carinho for, for, for Fernand Sanch. So there's no player, we know, there's no player on the slice zone who's going to go against Cristiano Ronaldo. So if, if you're in training, this guy is your idol, Cristiano Ronaldo is your idol, and you see him adoring this man in the way that he does, who the hell are you to go and say, Fernando Sanchez não presta aqui, he's not the right man for the job. You're never okay, going to do so that. Then, no one's going to so, go against Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, sure. So then, so as, if, if that's the case then we actually have a bigger problem here than Cristiano Ronaldo starting to become a problem on this team. Because Ooh. you need to, you need to, you need to, if that's the case of Mitch, if what you're saying is true, then there's a bigger problem here because then Cristiano Ronaldo needs to take a step back, be a leader, and do what's best for the team. If he feels that, I mean, if we're going by your theory, then clearly Cristiano Ronaldo feels that, you know what? We've made some mistakes, but we have the talent that we can overcome and we can advance and, you know, we can still get this job done. He still has the belief. He's also a competitor. So he he absolutely wants to be at the World Cup. His dream is to win a World Cup. And he knows that, you know, father time isn't on his side here. So, you know, he really wants to get the job done. So if he's not calling for Fernando Sanchi, he obviously has the belief that the job can get done by the players. But if the rest of the players aren't feeling that, then there is a bigger issue here. And at that point, doesn't matter who your coach is going to be, there's going to be a big problem in that locker room. And I know Christian's about to flip over the table. No, no, I, I agree with all things. But my counter argument to that is when you're a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo and he does something like that, right away, everybody's like, oh, he's arrogant. You know, he, does, you know, he just gets criticized for everything he does. At the end of the day, that's not his job to dictate if Fernando Santos should be coach or not. Disagree. Disagree 100%. He is the leader of this team. It is his job to step up, 
at some point. You see it in all other sports. LeBron James will go and do it. Connor McDavid has certainly made his uh, comments heard with the Edmonton Oilers. You see it as the leader of this team, especially a generational talent like Cristiano Ronaldo. There comes a point when if there is an issue like this, yes, you are going to step up and you are going to make some, your your voice heard, and you will demand change. And if Christian Ronaldo walked in, Christian to shy away from calling out a coach, he a thousand percent. Kaushkeros, I think it was World Cup 2010 when we lost, and they asked him about the game. And he says, "Vai falar com o treinador." He has never been one to shy away from calling out the coach if he does not agree with the tactics that he's been he's put. I, I understand, and I, that's why I said I I don't disagree a hundred percent. What my next point was going to be is the guy above Fernando Such. What is he doing? Well, Fernando, you know what I mean. Fernando, they can't have you know uh, because they go and drink wine and and go eat sardinhas after the game. Doesn't mean uh, he can't hold them accountable too. You know what I mean. <laughs> So, like, get, get, like he at the end of the day, yeah, I'm sure I, I agree with a lot of you guys' points. Maybe he should come out. Also, on the other side, he would get criticized for that. Like, oh yeah, before a playoff, you're gonna call out your coach, call, kill morale. I'm not saying that's the case. Yeah, yeah. I, I know he's done it in the past, but I'm just saying it's it's a slippery slope. My my point being is the guy above Fernando, the other Fernando, should come out and you know maybe hold him accountable. Did you hear about? Uh, what Fernando Santos was saying in his last interview about his objectives. He said, well, uh, as long as he hits his objectives, he's not stepping down as Portuguese coach. His bar for objectives is real low. His bar is qualify for the tournament. That's what your bar is? Okay, I'm not stepping down anymore. doesn't matter what you do in the tournament. You can go in the group stage and be like, okay, uh, well, I hit my objective. We made it there. No, man. With this team, we got to win it or at least look like a team that can win it. Okay, no, so it's, a, it's so, a long tournament. But so to that point, Christian, <clears throat> let's say Portugal advances to Qatar. Okay, they win the playoff, they advance to Qatar, and much like in 2016, they claw their way to the final, and they end up winning the World Cup. Okay. Yes. Does it matter how they got there? I mean, look, I, I understand what you're saying. That we should set the bar higher. Getting to the World Cup through a playoff should never be acceptable, without a doubt, especially with the lineup that we have. But at the end of the day, getting to the World Cup, that is that is mission number one. Get to the World Cup. doesn't matter how you get there. Your road to get to the World Cup final is infinitely harder by going through a playoff round because you're not going to be seated. So you are going to be put in difficult groups. But let's kind of have some perspective here as well i understand what he's saying i don't necessarily a hundred percent agree with it but the goal is to get to the world cup the goal is still there harder but it's still there see but that's where i disagree with you it, it does matter if we get first because then we get into a group of death and we fall into what we happened the last what tournament in the because if we went into a, a, a better seed then we're 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 head to head in a semi-final or a final like we did in 2016 you like to talk about 2016 a lot, but look at the brackets we got to the final. You know, that helped a lot, too. Because we finished third. I know, I know, I know. I'm just saying. Right? But, like, us going continuously, going in through a playoff, going into a group of death does not make it easy for us. It makes it harder. So, I think, I, I think it But how many tournaments matter. has Portugal but, had an easy group and couldn't get the job done either? No, for, for sure. I, I, I get what you're saying. But, like, you, you just talked about how, you know, 
Portugal clawing their way through uh, group stage, getting third, going through, clawing their way and winning the final. Yes, the end goal is winning the final. They got, don't get me wrong. But you don't see teams like Spain doing that, France doing that, the big boys doing that. We have the team to play quality, free flow and beautiful soccer, and we choose to play you know, this, what we're seeing now. As, and that's our point. It's a, and, and let's, let's back it up for a sec. I don't mind a coach. Let's say Fernando Santos, you know, was multi-dimensional in the in the sense that you know he's got the way that defensive tactic that defensive style is one of many tools in his in his toolbox if if that was a tactic that he kind of kept on the back burner for specific games and he deployed it tactfully against certain opponents man you got to do what you got to do to win my problem continues to be with Fernand Sanchez that he is very one-dimensional. So he had an interview on TVE this week, and he made the comment that, don't worry, in the playoff, he's going to put out a, a, a tactic that's going to really show, uh, let the players show their, their, their full potential and their full quality. Man, you've had how long to do this? You've had how long to do this? He was he was questioned in, in the in the press conference before the Serbia game. There was a question about Bernard Silva and whether he would be using him in a false nine, kind of the way that he does it in Manchester City, where he plays a false nine a lot and he's very effective in that role. You know what he said? I don't have enough time to train Bernard Silva in that role. <laughs> How long has Bernard Silva been with this last time, man? Like it's it's it's. It, it, again, it comes <coughs> to his his just continual lack and poor just poor decision making. And you know, he said he said all the right things in that interview with Tebe. He said, you know, if 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 uh, I, I have my objections or my objectives, as soon as I don't hit my objectives, I will leave on my own accord. If I don't if I don't make it through the playoff, I will leave on my own accord. And it it, it the friendship with Fernando Gomes has nothing to do with it. Yeah, this is this is strictly business. At the end of the day. When you, when you brought up, you know, the guys at the top, what are they doing about it? To fire him is going to cost us less than 6 million euros. Yep, lots of money. So what? No, okay. I, I agree, Christian, in, in the sense of emotion, yes. So what? Oh. You always want to do what's best. But if money makes position, the around here. If you're in that that's position, a tough decision. Man, that's... You have to weigh out. You have to weigh out. If we fire him, okay, if we fire him, we have to, we have to pay out six million euros. If we fire him, so you're Fernand Gomes, okay? Put yourself in Fernand Gomes' shoes right now. You miss the World Cup. How much does that cost Portugal? I just want to say that. Money? I was just Big about. Time. So you're having you say to that. weigh out. What the the goal is to get to the World Cup, okay? Both, both monetarily, that that's the goal, and and of course, every all the fans, the Diresão, everybody wants Portugal to World Cup. That's the ultimate goal. So you have to weigh out the option of: Do we have a better chance of getting to the World Cup with Fernand Sanz, or firing Fernand Sanz right now, putting in a new coach, rolling the dice, and and hoping? 
somebody gets us there. That's going to cost us 6 million euros to let him go, plus whatever it's going to cost us to bring on a new coach. And we still might not get through the World Cup. So, yeah. That's, so that's what you're, that's what Fernand Gomes is sitting And that's there. a and, tough decision. And that is to a make. very tough decision to make. Man, that's the thing. If you're thinking that way I, and you're the leader of our federation, you should not be there. No, you, dude. No, I, it's not. That, but I want to, I want to add on to your point. You're talking about $6 million. Okay. You're telling me right now, if we don't have the right coach there and we're playing unreal football, man, even if we don't win it, if we show something good, people won't tune in more. They won't get more TV rights. Like, like you just said, that us not making the World Cup, how much money are they losing? You know what I mean? You can't, you're thinking that's such a short-term way to look at things. You want Portugal to grow absolutely, as, and be a, a powerhouse. Right, a powerhouse. Right now. In this and then moment. your last point. And I agree with you. This is this is talking about firing him today. We're not talking about firing him today. We're talking about firing him well, a, long fired time ago. a long time ago. But, so wow. these these kind of uh, conversations have been Christian, talked about a, a long time ago. You, uh, agreed. But you can't go back and change the past. The, the fact is this is the reality they're in now. And, yeah, that is 6 million euros is a lot of money. And they need to figure out what is going to – especially when you know that – look, Regardless of what happened, I mean, short of winning a World Cup or going to the semifinal or whatever final, that in all likelihood, this is Fernand Sanchez's last tournament at the helm. Even though he has a contract till 2024, chances are he would resign probably after the World Cup anyways, barring winning a World Cup or getting to the semifinal, which then saves the money of, of the, the buyout or whatever, all that stuff. But the fact is, he's in a situation right now. If Fernand Sanchez, to be honest... We talk, you know, I talked about how Cristiano Ronaldo needs to be a leader and step up and 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 call out the Federação and 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 Fernand Sanch and doing all that. Well, Fernand Sanch also needs to be a leader too, and he needs to step up and say, you know what? I know there's six million dollars on the table here, or six million euros on the table here. I'm going to do what's right for the Federação. I'm going to step back. I'm going to step down. I'm going to make the decision easier because I want to do what's best for the country. He's not doing that. The he players still feels, are. He still feels that he has can the get the job done to, to get the job done and get Portugal to the World Cup. He and if you guys watch the interview with Tebe, he was he was adamant that that he's going to get through this playoff. Uh, he was also adamant we were going to beat Serbia. Yeah. So to, to me, his 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 conviction uh, really does not re- does not hold a whole lot of weight. Conviction so, really can only get you so far. So. Daniel Fernandes uh, writing in at this point, it could be a risk to fire him and it's a risk to keep him. But with no training time, you just have to go with him now uh, for the World Cup playoffs. And to that point, so. that's a good point. And, and, you know, the other thing is, so let's say we, we get through the playoff. Okay. Let's just say we get through the playoff. And I had a dream last night that we got Italy. In the second game, I dreamt that that last night. I hope you're wrong, and I know how you are with dreams. I hope you're wrong. I had a dream last night we got Italy. So, Um, but let's say we get through the playoff. There's two things here. If you're Fernand Gomes, you're thinking, okay, we got through. Depending how we play in those two games, if we get through in the typical Fernand Sanchez style where we sneak sneak by and Ronaldo is our savior in the 90th minute, which is, is you know, very likely. Um, is this the type, is this the leader, is this the guy that you want 
taking us to Qatar. Because then that brings up a whole other point. Now he's got us there. Can you fire him then? Nope. So let, let me ask you this. Okay. All, all honestly, I'm asking you this too, Kevin. So with this team, besides all, all the other stuff we're talking about, okay? With this team that we have, with these players, and I showed you the players that we have, you look at the, you look on paper and you look at what we have. And I ask you and Kevin, and then our objective is to, to make Qatar through a playoff. Once we're there, we're, we're good. Or or is that objective a little higher than that? But that's but that's that's a that's a wrong question because the objective isn't to make a to make the World Cup through a playoff. No, that's not that was never the the objective is make the World Cup. That that is the objective. Make the World Cup. <clears throat> Whether it's automatic birth or through a playoff, the objective is make the World Cup. That's okay. the objective, which is still alive right now. Okay, so then we make the World Cup through a playoff. We go into the group of death. We lose in the round of 16. Are you content with that? That's the, We hit our objective. We made the World Cup we went through a playoff. We went through the group of death, squeaked by, lost in the round of 16. Like, how often are we going to do this? Like, the, what I'm, I guess my point is we're playing mediocre right now. Like, we don't have a team to be playing like this. I'm all for going out, like, we can lose. We can lose in the round of 16, but at least show something. Like I talked about when Portugal played Belgium, I said we lost. It sucks. It hurt. But towards the end of the game, we seen something. Yeah. Something to grow on. We're like, oh man, we played good. Yeah. We went out guns a blazing. Like if we had that against Serbia, I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, wanting his head. Yes, you I, would. I mean, I would, but not to this <laughs> level. Not to this level. Not to this level. Like, like we seen something. We had something to grow on at least. Yeah. We could go in the playoff. Be like, okay. But playing like we did against Serbia, are you confident we're going to go through this playoff? I'd buy money be against us. Okay, so before you answer that, let's talk about the playoffs. So let's bring this up here. So it's a very interesting dynamic uh, for the playoff this year. Normally, traditionally, there's a draw. Portugal would be up against some team. And, you know, it's a two-leg uh, game. You advance and move on. But this year, there's only two spots up for grabs. So what happens there? Uh, Portugal has been put into pot one. That's the seeded pot. They're in there with uh, Italy, Scotland, Russia, Sweden, and Wales. Pot two, those are the unseeded teams. We got Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia, Ukraine, Austria, and the Czech Republic. The draw will happen on Friday, November 26th, uh, Black Friday, which is fitting because it could be a Black Friday depending on how the draw goes for Portugal. So taking a look at this, I mean, from an unseeded perspective, look, these are actually pretty tough games that Portugal is going to have to play. And these are all single uh, games. There's no two legs here. It's one game, winner take all. So Portugal would have to go up against, again, one of the unseeded teams, which will be difficult. Um, they will be hosting that game. So that's a positive. Then the winner of that plays the other semifinal, which presumably would be against one of the seeded teams. Uh, and then in the draw, we'll find out who gets to host that game. So we won't know if Portugal will be hosting or if they'll be going on the road. But I mean, yeah, you're right. It could be Portugal and Italy battling for a spot to go to the World Cup, which I mean, hey, let's look at the fact that Italy defending Euro champions, they're also in the same position that Portugal finds themselves in too. So, you know, 
UEFA has grown, which is a good thing. There are a lot of talented teams in the world here. So is it necessarily the end of the world? It sure feels like it. But let's also put things in perspective here. Now, with that said, Portugal is going to have uh, a heck of a road ahead of them. Um, and it's not going to be easy. So who do you guys want to see in that semifinal? And who do you want to avoid? I can tell you right now, the one team I do not want is Poland. For two reasons. Number one, they have arguably the best striker in the world, Lewandowski. Number two, Paulo Souza is their coach. And I think he understands potentially better than anybody that as long as we line up with a 3-4-3, we can beat them. And that is potentially the most dangerous thing going into this game is that Fernand Sanchez, we all knew about the 3-4-3. We all knew about the 3-4-3 issue. The problem now is Fernand Sanchez publicly went out on national television and declared to the world, we do not, we have problems against playing a 3-4-3. So any team that's going to play against Portugal, any coach in their right mind going up against Portugal, will more than likely deploy a 3-4-3. And that is what scares the shit out of me because we are such a predictable, easy team to beat at this point, regardless of the talent that we have. We are so tactically one-dimensional that any anybody that 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 draws Portugal, even though they're like, the, you know, sticker shock is, oh my God, Portugal, if they really peel back the layer and say, look at their record against a 3-4-3. They couldn't even beat Ireland playing a 3-4-3. I think that is okay. what scares me the most. So so Poland scares you. Christian, who worries you? Well, we all know who, who we don't want to face. Let's let's call it how it is. We don't want to say we go through the first round. I'm talking about but I know, no, I, know, I, know, I, know I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna tell I'm gonna give you my vote. So obviously if, if we go through Italy, don't want to face this one. There's a lot of good teams there. There is. Do you remember this team, bottom right corner? Mm -hmm. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. UK, when we had it to, to win and we lost 2 nothing to these guys? Yeah. Turkey's a good team. Ukraine's a good team. Poland's a good team. Austria. Macedonia is a good team. Macedonia is a good team. Well, okay. They, they, Thank uh, you for saying that because 100%. I'm going to jump in here. And our friend Nikola Dinkovic also saying, don't underestimate North Macedonia. 100% of those teams that are unseated, that's probably the team that worries me the most. And the reason for that is because they are a dangerous team. They have been playing well. They beat Germany in qualifying. And of all teams, Portugal would likely look at that draw and be like, oh, easy qualification to the final. And they won't be. And North Macedonia will wear them down. And it's one of those games that you could just see. It, it's North Macedonia, if we get North Macedonia... It'll be one of those games where it's going to be an ugly goal that wins it, and that game worries me the most. Back to you, Christian. What worries you the most for the unseated? I, I agree, Poland's dangerous, but there's so many dangerous teams. And you know, and when you come with Portugal, a team like North Macedonia, I know they they beat Germany. I would still be worried. I'd be worried about any one of those teams. You don't know what you're going to get. Obviously, I want Portugal to make it through, but there is a slight part of me that's like, you know, you, we go out. And then we give Fernand Sanz un beijo, un queijo. Thank you for everything. See you later. Because for us to even be in this situation is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. 
But yeah, obviously going on your point, Poland is a very dangerous team. They have Lewandowski. If we get them, and then we could potentially get Italy. To be in this situation just blows my mind. There's, there's, my heart tugs both two ways here because I want Portugal to go through more than anything for to give Cristiano Ronaldo a shot at, at his last World Cup. Cup. His last World Cup. His last World Cup. The the other side of my heart says long term, the best thing for Portugal would to would be to fail to as much as that pains me to say long term the best thing for Portugal would be for us to fail to qualify for this World Cup and we bring in either Andre Villas Boas in in my opinion he's he would be in my opinion the best coach yeah. for Portugal at this point I I know you you're a big fan of Rui Jorge yeah uh, I like Rui Jorge I just I I I think either one would be good but to me Andre Villas Boas a little bit more experience, especially working with with bigger egos. Rui Jorge is, is obviously only accustomed to working with the younger the younger raw talent. I think Andre Villas Boas, in my opinion, a little bit more experience. He's won big tournaments. Um, I think he would be the ideal person. And the best long term, the best thing for Portugal is that we fail to qualify. We bring in Andre Villas Boas and we just start fresh. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But you know what? Uh, I'm not going to lie. We, we do have a plan B for Qatar, and it's not the playoffs. Uh, we live in Canada, and, uh, you know, <laughs> worst comes to worst, we might have to, you know, switch this this podcast and throw some Canada jerseys on because, uh, because Listen, the way it's looking, it's hard to it. say. Like, me and Kevin were both at the game at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton, and you know what? Canada, you could argue that they're playing better than Portugal right now. Argue? It's not and even an argument. It's actually, actually, tactically, they're better right now. Okay, so more heart. Okay, so so let me. So I'm I'm going to. That's a really good point, and this goes back to some of Christian's points about why there is actually a need to make a change um, when it comes to a manager. Because quite frankly, with Canada, when was the turnaround? Yes, obviously with Alfonso Davies. Yes, with Jonathan David. Yes, with Kyle Lauren. The list goes on and on. You have Milan Borin in in net, but the turnaround was when John Herdman took over the men's national team. He did a tremendous job with the women's team. Then he came over to the men's team. There was a lot of people, myself included, I'll fully admit it, that wasn't quite sure that he could make that adaptation from the women's game to the men's game. Boy, did he ever. He certainly learned what it takes to win in CONCACAF. Canada's playing extremely well right now. They still have, you know, their work cut out for them. Yes, they're first right now in, in CONCACAF. They're likely going to finish in the top four. Top three advance automatically. Fourth place goes to a playoff. So, I mean, there's still a lot of room there. But, yeah, Canada's looking uh, Canada's looking pretty good, and, and they've done what they've needed to do. 100%. So, yeah, that's our plan B, man. And there's a couple of Portuguese there, so we can still, yes. you know, at least... Steven yeah. Vittoria. Oh, my God. Stakio is really good. Amazing. He will not be past next no, year. No. I, I, I will. Sport was already looking at him yeah. last year, and I even Sporting, Sporting was looking at him. He's going to be going to one of the big three for sure. So, uh, just because we're starting to run out of time here, so we talked a little bit about the unseated. I think we all agree the one team we don't want to see from a seated perspective would be Italy. Um, I will say from a seated perspective, Wales doesn't scare me. Scotland doesn't scare me. Russia. They're tricky on the fence of whatever Sweden, I think is beatable as well. Italy is the one that hundred percent. You don't want to see 
with the other teams, there's not even a guarantee that they even beat the unseeded teams mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to get to the final. So I think Portugal, depending how the draw goes, it could go well. But as we all know, um, <laughs> things don't always go uh, normally. The way normally, we none of those teams would actually scare me yeah. if we were not so vulnerable against a three-four-three. None of those teams. Would okay, scare me. but I disagree with that. And I'll and I'll say that and I say this with all respect, Mitch, because Portugal, for as long as we have known them, as long as we've cheered for them, they always, for whatever reason, against the teams that they should be beating, are the teams that they end up throwing a giant egg and do. Uh, they just uh, they underestimate them and they just do a terrible job. It happens all the time. We take a look at World Cup two thousand two. There was a group that they easily should have gone through World Cup 2014. They easily should have gone through their group and they didn't get the job done. So, no, I, I disagree that these, yes, in theory, none of these teams should worry Portugal, but they have a history but that Portugal, every team in their dog. Portugal also has a history of when their back's against the wall and you need to get the job done, they get it done. So that's why they believe in front and Sunch and think that they're going to do well. However, we've <laughs> never been this vulnerable and yes. this, this beatable with a specific formation for whatever it is. And like I say, for him to actually come out on national television and admit for, and cause he said it, said in the interview with TV for whatever reason, whatever, uh, you know, the, t- the other team lines up with uh, three defenders, we have a really hard time winning. Yeah. We can't figure it out. So he, I mean, for him to come, come out there and actually say it, 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 it makes us so unbelievably vulnerable that, like I say, we, the, we played against Ireland. How difficult was it for us to, to win one, that game? One part I want to add on that um, surprised it took this long to, to even mention in this podcast. Uh, in that interview post game, uh, a journalist asked Fernand Sanch with with uh, Bernard Silva, Bruno Fernandes, Cancelo, Ronaldo, Jota. He's like, why can't you guys play? You know, beautiful soccer. Why can't you guys get it together? Why can't you guys play well? And Fernando Sanch sat back for you know, 10 seconds, and he didn't know how to answer. He did not know how to answer. He was he was speechless. He was speechless. He was that probably speechless because the question was asked. Yeah. And he probably had to watch what you say or else you'll get fined, right? But I, I agree to that point. He should have had an answer to that. I think Daniel Fernandes has a great answer. Fernandes has a Ferrari but drives it like a Ford Pinto. So, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. With you're the flat wrong. tire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, guys, so it, it comes down to this. Uh, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. I certainly feel like I know where your answer is, but it's a question on everyone's mind. Fernand Sanch, stay or go at this point right now. If you are the head of the Portuguese Soccer Federation, Fernand Sanch, stay or go. Christian, you said you wanted Mitch to answer first, so Mitch, go ahead. Stay or go? Stay. And that kills me to say that <clears throat> but right now we've got a man named Cristiano Ronaldo who is an idol for our national team and I think every single Portuguese person wants more than anything for that man to be able to hold up the World Cup and right now right now we have a better chance to get through the playoff with him there than rolling the dice with a new coach. After we get through the playoff, you want to 
kick him out, you want to fire him, I, I would be all for it. But to kick him out right now, I think we have a better chance of getting to the World Cup for no other reason than to Ronaldo give him one more shot to win this thing. And that's that's my only reason for him to stay. Christian. It's a it's a it's a tough question to ask. It's a tough question to ask because I agree with a lot of points that Mitch just said. Bringing a new coach just before uh, you know a do or die situation, it, it would be tough. It would be tough. That's why we were talking about earlier that you know maybe the best thing for Portugal is not making it, which is blows my mind. But yeah, I I, I think I slightly like I'm talking like 51 percent think that Fernando Santos should stay just for the playoffs. Oh. But, but but hear me out. Hear me out. I can't just, believe you just no, said no. that. But just for the playoff, but I know if he goes and qualifies us for the World Cup, he's going to stay there. So they're not going to get rid of him. Because you also have to remember what we talked about earlier, which is where does Cristiano Ronaldo stand on this? If, yeah. if, if you fire him and Cristiano Ronaldo is against that decision, what does that do to him and in the locker room? You, you know what, the, though? The, there's, there's, it's not just – trust me. None of us here in this room like Fernand Sanchez right now or think he's the best thing for this last time. But when you're asking the question at this at this yeah. very important juncture, what is the best decision? Yeah. Yeah. As much as we all want to see Fernand Sanchez leave, it could hurt us right now. It could hurt us yep. in the short term more than than. Yes, than I think long term, long term, it'd be good. Short term, it wouldn't be. He good. should have been fired after the year. Yes, he wasn't. Yes, he should have been fired after multiple times throughout this qualification. You could have let him go at this point in time. That's tough. You almost can't let him go. The, the, the problem is you couldn't get rid of him during the qualification because Portugal was still. I mean, Portugal was in the driver's seat. They controlled their own destiny. They they should have, and and a win or a draw in Serbia, they would have gone in. So, I think the. I'm conflicted because I really think that uh, as soon as they lost against Serbia, what should have happened is Fernand Sanz should yes. have resigned himself. Exactly. And Portugal should have uh, moved on so they could bring someone in that could already start putting in the work, the time, the effort to make sure and ensure that Portugal gets through the playoff. However, when you take a look at everything, take the emotion out of it. You got to look at it from a business perspective as well. You have to look at it from, you know, weighing the risk and reward and all that stuff. Because here's the thing. It's a six million euro gamble that you're making. If you get rid of Fernand Sanz, you bring in Andre Villas-Boas and they play worse than they did against Serbia or that we've seen here, then everyone's going to be like, what were you doing? This was the worst decision in the world. And, and guess what? That. A new coach isn't going to sign for a playoff or for one tournament. They're going to sign for three, four years. And not That's only that, you have to remember, again, if Cristiano Ronaldo is not for the decision to let him go yeah. and you lose the confidence or, or, or you know, the support of Ronaldo, so, that could be catastrophic. Yeah. So, so I, I know we gotta I, I know we gotta wrap it up. Sorry if I interrupted you. That, that's Cristiano fine. Ronaldo is who he is. Yes, he might love uh the coach, but don't try to argue with me that Cristiano Ronaldo is not one of the most competitive guys on the planet. If so he does, he is I know I know let, let me just let me just wrap it up. Um if he he wants to be in the World Cup, especially being in his last World Cup ever for Portugal, he wants to win it. 
You think he's sitting back being like, man, this could, you know, there's a part of him, no matter how he feels about the guy. You you're talking about the locker room must know. He knows too, man. Just as he knows with Ollie at the wheel at United, he knows that right now, and also being coached by some of the best managers on the planet, there's a part of him that's like, man, you know, maybe he isn't the right guy. As much as he likes him, but being how competitive he is, his drive to win, there is a part of him that, you know, would most likely be for getting a new manager in there. In my well, opinion, sitting back, knowing how competitive he is. You you don't think that Fernand Gomes had a meeting with Christian Roland? I don't know. Honestly, oh, I don't I'm know. I'm sure he did. I, I can almost guarantee I don't know. I don't know. If they for... sat him down. He he has so much influence, Christian, that I can almost guarantee you they sat him down in a closed office meeting and said, what do you want? Well, I know. you know, I... we'll, we'll have a good idea of that after today. Because like Man- I said, Man- his, Manchester his United decision... lost 4-1 today, guys. Yeah, I know. I was seeing it on my phone. Yes. Yeah. To Watford. Oh, he's gone. And you know what? That's another guy. Not to you know steer off and go on a tangent somewhere else to wrap it up. That's another guy that's in his position because of his you know what he did for United in the past, and look where it's like taken. You know what I mean? That's where I stand on that. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about here. I'm loving all <laughs> the engagement. Uh, bottom line: Fernand Sanch is here to stay, uh, rightfully or wrongly. And uh, we'll have to see what uh, I, I, I I'm just, I'm actually a little stunned that that Man United lost to Watford. Sorry, I just saw that on my phone, and I'm just and deservingly so, deservingly uh, so. I'm 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 speechless on that. It's uh, yeah, it, a, a week of upsets. Bayern Munich lost two to one uh, yesterday too. So uh, interesting. Uh, the draw is Friday. We will find out Portugal's fate as uh, they will host a playoff uh, semi final at least. Uh, in March, um, side note, if all goes well, uh, my husband and I will be in Portugal for that. So hopefully we'll try and get tickets for that game. Won't go to the final, though. I don't have the heart. If it's in <laughs> Portugal, I don't have the heart to see the potential loss. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, Horrible record at the Stade de Luz, too. Maybe they should start switching stadiums. You're right. Maybe maybe they go back to Alvalade. Maybe they go yeah. to Alvalade. Yes. They'll go to yes. Leidia or I don't know, wherever. Anywhere. At this point, play a neutral site game, come to Canada. Commonwealth Stadium. We'll go Bring fill it. it in the winter. You know, that's yeah. fine. Minus 30, no problem. We'll go. No we'll problem. put fans in the stands. Christian, Mitch, I'm Kevin. Thanks for watching. To the two the uh, to the Tuga, the Portuguese soccer podcast. And uh, who let's fingers crossed that we don't get Italy uh, in our group. And uh, let's see what ends up happening. Have a good one, everyone. Sorry, guys. See you guys.